Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Harry, if we haven't met, uh, and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us this evening. Uh, there's a few different verses that I'll be reading tonight, all from the book of Zechariah, uh, starting in chapter 2, and a few verses in there, and then jumping to chapter 8 and continuing on. So if you want to follow along on the screen or in the Pew Bibles, uh, it's page 949. So chapter 2, verse 1. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. And then jumping to verse 10. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Uh, And then we're going to go to chapter 8. Starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And then to verse 20. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I, am, I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Now I'm just going to invite our interim pastor Jeff up to share with us. Uh, And as I do, I will pray for him. Father, thank you that you're here with us. You're dwelling with us and you're speaking actively to us now. Thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you have given us such a wonderful gift. I pray that tonight we would have hearts ready to receive what you have to say to us. And that the words that you have given Jeff this week will be relevant, will be exciting, will be encouraging and challenging. Father, be with Jeff as he speaks to us, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say through him. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Just for those who don't know me, uh, um, do introduce yourself. Um, I won't promise that I'll remember your name. I actually have a a mind like a... uh, well, I don't know. It's not a steel trap, I can tell you. <laughs> um, so, you know, on the 10th time, I'll start to nod and call you mate. 
uh, or even worse, brother or sister. <laughs> um, isn't that a funny thing? I, I tend to find people who, as a pastor, that <laughs> call me brother usually have got a lot of trouble stomaching my uh, presence, but anyway, uh, that's the way it works. Um, yes, I'm the interim pastor here, if you... Uh, if you uh, 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 can introduce yourself, I really am interested in getting to know you and uh, my wife Kay is here and her mum is sitting beside her tonight uh, so that's uh, great to see. Particularly, just pop your hand up if, you, if this is your first service here at Q. There we go, excellent. Well, we have this, uh, this quaint little Q tradition where we get you to stand and uh, tell us your life story and your worst sins and then we pray for you and... Uh, <laughs> So, as usual, <laughs> uh, we might just, time is on the ebb tonight, we'll just keep the uh, normal. Uh, but let's have a look at Zechariah. Zechariah is uh, a fascinating little prophet. If you've ever tried to read it, it's full of symbolism and imagery. He's a, called an apocalyptic prophet. That is, he, he gets his, his prophecies very much in visionary, symbolic terms. Uh, I think in, in some ways the language of psychology could help here, that he, he, um, he is actually uh, uh, getting motifs about things that are deep that God communicates in his psyche, but then he's got to put them into words and they're sort of pre-linguistic symbols that have to come out in, in the language and the metaphors of his own day. Um, I often think that the canonical prophets uh, of the Old Testament uh, you had a license to be neurotic, to be a prophet, and uh, like a, a neurotic person where transference is often the issue they're dealing with, they're, they're confusing things that they've seen in the past with people and situations in the present. Uh, the prophet has this coming to him both ways. He, he's seeing things in the future that then he has to communicate and they're they are impacting on the life and the place where he is. So he is um, overlapping two sorts of vision in his mind at once. And he's an old covenant fellow. He's, he's very much a, a Jew of the Jerusalem temple era. So a lot of the symbolism is wrapped around the temple. Now, we're looking at a period here, say 400 years BC, where uh, <clears throat> the people of Israel have come back and... Uh, no one's ever known a slave race to be released and to come back. They'd gone 70 years odd in, uh, in exile. They went off uh, to Babylon with the Babylonians. The Babylonians were overrun by the Medo-Persian Empire and then uh, the Persians basically let them go back, the Iranians of, of today. And uh, they, uh, they come back and they achieve great things uh, they rebuild the city and the city walls, which makes them a political entity again. And they, they get stuck into building the temple, the second temple. So that's the period we're writing in. And the sort of thing that happens when, when people achieve so much, now we're a couple of generations down the track, is that people think, well, we've arrived. Uh, this is the best it can be, isn't it? You know, we're back to where God really wants things. And the temptation is to cool their heels and to basically put their feet up and count their losses, but you know, this is the best there is. And in one of these many little storyettes that go through Zechariah, uh, I want to look at three of them tonight. We see this first one in chapter 2 that was read for us, 
that uh, basically Zechariah is talking to an angel at some level. That angel leaves, another angel comes along and they look up and they see this young fellow outside the city walls with a measuring line, probably a, a chain long of rope and, and he's going and he's measuring the great city, Jerusalem, the, the centre point of God's achievement in the world. This is where God dwells and his temple is and there is no city. Like, and, and so there's a certain degree of pride and the other angel basically says to him, uh, you know, uh, says, to, says to, one angel says to the other, go and tell that guy to stop doing that. Because that, that's not the idea. You see, Jerusalem is to be a city without walls, even though they've built the walls. God's ideal is not this Jerusalem. It's a different sort of Jerusalem. It's a, there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen here. In fact, he talks about Jerusalem being a city without walls in verse 4 because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. It's going to be bursting at the seams. The, the walls won't be able to hold it. Ezekiel has similar visions uh, of, of the, the Spirit of God pouring beyond the walls. And so even though, as a Jew, he, he thought that the holiest place on the planet was Jerusalem and people would come to Jerusalem, they won't, the walls won't be able to contain the people that come as pilgrims. It's a different sort of model. And he, then he says, verse 5, And I will be to her a wall of fire around her, declares the Lord. And then verse 10, uh, I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day. What day is that? The day he's really seeing is the day that began at Pentecost. It's this day. It's this day that God's idea of the city of God, the people of God, would be one where the real boundary, the only thing that holds us back is the Spirit of God. He is the boundary of the city of God. Where the Spirit of God is, that's the city we should look at. That's what we should be focusing on. That's the definition that God has in his mind. A different sort of city. It's not the static city. It's not the one you can measure with statistics. It's, it's the dynamic city where the Spirit of God is pouring beyond. I remember when uh, last I was a uh, full-time pastor out at Murrumbina Baptist over the other side of the city. And uh, <clears throat> I, I came there in its hundredth year, became the senior pastor the following year. And soon on uh, taking up that role... Uh, a mate of mine, we decided that we don't actually get go and get to know the area. It sort of concerned me that uh, a lot of the people in our church had been there a long time. In fact, as you left the church, it had a sign. A lot of churches used to do this. used to have this little sign up the back that someone had carved. Uh, as you're going through, we had these sort of saloon doors that swung open into the foyer and out into the street. And it had this little sign, you are now entering your mission field. And I thought, well, that's a good sentiment, but I didn't see any indication that we are in contact with this field. And I decided to put that to a test, and on a Saturday afternoon, a mate and I decided to walk around the block the church was on, as if we're doing a little bit of marking. And we knocked on the door. We didn't get any refusals. Um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, we, after 20 knocks and 20 doors that opened, we decided we had the, all the data we needed. I only asked people two questions. I asked them the question, what can you tell me about the Murrumbina Baptist Church? 
And secondly, I said, asked them a question, what can you tell me about the church on the next corner, which was the Murrumbina Baptist Church? And after 20 replies, um, I found that of, of the 20 people, nobody knew anything about the Murrumbina Baptist Church. Uh, 10 people had no idea where it was and 10 people thought that the church on the next corner was the local Catholic church. And I sort of stormed on me that basically we had the wrong model church, fundamentally. We could have been living in parallel universes. Our lives were not touching theirs, their lives were not touching us. If they don't know you, how can you share the goodness of God with them? made it my objective that in the next five years, if we did anything, we would be known for good in the five-kilometre radius around that church, by whatever means. That's the nature of the God's church, is that he wants not a church that is hidden within walls, but is a church that is a dynamic, that is spreading out beyond those walls, because those walls are really up here. That's where they really exist. That's the, that's the restrictive factor that holds us back, is that, um, that thinking that somehow people aren't going to come to us. Therefore, we're absolved. Absolved from worrying about all that stuff. But that's not God's view. His view is that his church is wherever his spirit is reaching out. Aren't we living in a wonderful age? I, I know that it's getting a little bit tough in Australia, and particularly in Victoria. You ought to talk to my wife about what it's like being a Christian at the moment in state schools. It, it's going to cost us more. But I think that that is really good news. Because that's a time where God likes to demonstrate that his spirit is not restricted by the statistics, by the statics. But his spirit is one that is pouring out exponentially and he's working on people right now in our lives, in our streets, in our occupations, in our courses. That's the God we worship. We jump to chapter 8. And the next metaphor for the church that, God, that Zechariah brings us is out of this wonderful scene and where he talks, and I bring it up in verse 3, uh, verse 4, sorry, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of their great age. Now, to the Jews, that's good news because if, if you're going to live to a great age, it means your enemies aren't plundering you. You're going to, you're going to make it. There's no Vikings on the horizon. And that's the, uh, the nature of this vision. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. And that's, that's God's idea of a, a good day in church. Thus says the Lord, it is marvellous in sight of the remnant of his people. Should it also be marvellous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. And, and uh, that, that's an image that has played on my mind. I want to tell you a story of two different churches from a while back when I was in this state. And uh, the first one, I was on a, a task force in this Baptist Union uh, the church planting task force for a few years. We simply looked at the map of Victoria and the map of Melbourne and wherever we couldn't find a gospel presence, a gospel church that was unambiguous about the gospel, we would uh, 
find, uh, if we found you know, a 25k block, we'd think that's a place that needs a church. And we found uh, a large area uh, that was opening up out in the southeast of Melbourne. And we thought, we've really got to get in on the ground floor there with a, a gospel church. And uh, so we decided to go and recruit a, a standing team, the first team to, to plant this church. My job was to go around different churches and sell the idea to people. And I went to a particularly uh, upbeat, glam church uh, this particular Sunday night. And uh, it was a very successful church. I knew the pastor well. He was a delightful fellow and uh, a pastor of pastors. And um, <clears throat> I was just sitting there. And I got there a little bit early. I was invited to sit up on the stage that night, just you know, spitting distance from the microphone and what was happening there. And then uh, the crowd came, came in, and started to filter through, and uh, a pretty glamorous bunch. And um, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm in the right place. And uh, uh, as they, they filtered through and, and took their seats. And then, uh, you know, we, we had the, the, the standard battery of, of music and sang ourselves hoarse and sat down. And, uh, and then the MC popped up and he had a lot of announcements. And the interesting thing I noticed about the announcements were two things. One is they're all involving food and eating. And there are announcements like, you know, if you're a member of such and such group, and they're all about... Secondly, stratified stages, like a geological strata in the church at different ages, different groups. So if you're a member of the, the zombies, then you've got to bring $2 along for pizza next week. And don't forget tonight, that if you're in something or other, then it's down at the ice cream parlour and you know, the bus will leave at such and such. And if you're in this, and it went on and he had wit and humour and he just... I thought, this guy is really talented and it was hilarious. And then all of a sudden his face... His presence changed and he, he leant forward on the podium and he said, uh, and just something uh, that we've got to say tonight, a little bit different, different tone, and we all leant forward. He said, I just want to say tonight that uh, you know, our hearts go out to the Wilson family and he's looking around. They're actually sitting right there, two, two seats back. Our hearts really go out to the Wilson family tonight at the death of their father. And the senior pastor suddenly ran forward and pulled him on his Hawaiian shirt and said, that's mother. He said, yeah, that's the death of your, your mother. Um, our prayers are really with you. And I thought, I bet that just doesn't pass the pub test. If you don't know people, they don't matter to you. How can you pray for them? Tell you a story of another church. It was my first church, an eccentric little church out in the fringe of the hills of Melbourne. And it was 25 years old. It was a troubled church. Uh, it had been founded by uh, the vision of one young farmer 25 years earlier. Well, he wasn't that young when he, he, he founded it. But he was one of the few Christians in that, that area, that district. And uh, there was a, a family that had three daughters. And this fellow had... Uh, been engaged to marry daughter number one and about a month out from the wedding uh, he ended up marrying daughter number three. There was a lot of feeling in that family and uh, a lot of people who were in that church were actually related to those three daughters who now married off and etc. And we're, we're probably you know many years beyond but this church had a little bit like this one it had three exits 
And it was very difficult to be the pastor in that church once the final prayer was said. I'd have to choose which door to bolt to because the audience just vamooshed straight after the service. They, they really couldn't stand each other. And there are a few of the people who weren't related to anyone would be left and you get to talk to them. And I thought, this has got to stop. We've got to do something about it. And I asked around. I discovered that in the 25 years they'd been in this building as church together, glorifying the witness of the gospel, and that they never had a church social. They'd never met together outside of Sunday services. And so we decided to put one on and we made it a theme. We're going to have a variety night and you've got to bring along a skit. If you're going to come, you've got to do something. And we had a fantastic night full of really B-grade skits. In fact, B is probably... Anyway, we had Dad and Dave skits and uh, we had uh, people telling jokes and Guy doing magic tricks that obviously we all knew it wasn't magic and... And, uh, uh, you know, and a, a dear old allocution teacher, Cine Sinclair, who came to read Byron to us that night and, and in her mink coat. <laughs> and it was a classic. And I noticed over in the corner a fellow who had been our church secretary, who's a social worker with community services in the northern suburbs. And he had a guy with him who was a rather rough-looking dude and... Uh, had this illustrated sleeve. And, and he, this fellow was actually on a supervision order. He wasn't allowed outside the, uh, the vision of that uh, social worker because he's appearing in court with some pretty heavy-duty charges coming up in the next week. And uh, so the social worker was actually having him living in his house. And he'd brought this guy along, and I thought, all the things for him to come to. Oh, goodness, what will he think of us? And right at the end, as people are dispersing, grabbing a cuppa and this sort of thing... This guy stands up and he comes over to me and he swaggers over to me and he said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, are you the pastor? And uh, actually he said, are you the priest? And I said, well, sort of. And uh, I get what he meant and he, he said, uh, I, I just want to ask you something. And I said, oh, here it comes. <laughs> he said, uh, do you think it would be all right if I came to this church? I was blown over. Of course, I said, well, I'll have to put that to the deacons and, you know, uh, there's about a two-month waiting period and you'll have to fill out the appropriate form and, uh, you know, I, I think we're out of them at the moment. And, and anyway, uh, we'll make it easy in your case. <laughs> and uh, it suddenly dawned on me that this guy who lived in a loveless world had actually seen and tasted the love of the Lord amongst us somehow God had touched his soul and had reached out and had melted his crust and that's how he works you see folks the church as some bright spark once said the church is the plausibility or it's meant to be the plausibility structure of the gospel the world doesn't need to see us Oh, putting on a show. It doesn't need confected affection. It doesn't need people rostered on to be nice. It just needs Christians who really express family. You see, if we just exist in our strata, then we're just Gentiles. But if, if Christ has come, he breaks through those barriers which separate people. 
and you know that something exceptional has happened, that this is not of man. And that's what this guy saw that night. He saw a church not just without walls, one without strata. Christ had come. And it touched his soul. And that fellow ended up leading a scripture union beach mission. You know, only about five years later. He's no longer with us. Uh, unfortunately, his liver gave out. But that's what happens. That's what we're involved in. Not so much a bunch of programs. God doesn't need us to market the church because we are not the commodity. It's Jesus Christ and his love that is so infectious that people really need. The last image we have is in 8.20 to 23. And there we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall come, even the inhabitants of many cities. And this, you know, you heard it. They'll say to each other, Let's go at once and entreat the favour of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. You know, it's a picture of like a spiritual revival. And these revivals have happened through history where this sort of thing has happened again and again and again. In the hardest places. And even in this country, I could tell you about revivals that you don't even know about where, for instance, in the, in the, the mining towns of New South Wales around Lithgow and Bathurst, in the late 1800s, revival broke out where people had never heard the gospel in the mine pits. The, the revival was so strong there that people were coming to the Lord when they got down into the pit. The miners would be praying before the start of work and they would pray and then they'd look at their watches, those who had them, and they would discover that suddenly it was knock-off time and they had been praying for hours. You couldn't believe that that would happen, but it almost put the mining business out. The pit donkeys would not obey their instructions. That's the nature of what happens when God comes calling and draws close. Oh, that that may happen here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jew and say, let's go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Pinch me. Wouldn't it be great if that was the case? Did you go to uni this week or next week or sometime and your friends have heard that Q Baptist, there is something there, the presence of God. And they say, will you take me? Pinch me. Oh, that that would happen. That this church would be known for a place where we can keep this one contract, that if you come here, you will meet God. You will hear him, you'll hear his word expounded, and people will be changed and transformed. Oh, that we did that. That's the only contract God has for Zechariah. And God has that contract for us. You know, when God appears on the scene... We don't need all the trinkets. I remember years ago uh, when I was a, a dad, my second daughter was at kindergarten and um, <clears throat> uh, we had a new kindergarten teacher. All the other kids had been through with this old teacher and then we got a new kindergarten teacher straight out of college. She had an honours degree in um, whatever it is you get to be a kindergarten teacher. And... Um, and 
uh, she was uh, pretty formidable and you know, she'd done really well and she'd written a whole lot of essays on critical theory and uh, industrial revolution and so we're glad to hand over our children to her and um, uh, she, she was really prepared and she had this theory that um, fathers are bad guys and they're absent, they don't care about their daughters so she, she ran these things called dad's nights where you'd roll up and the girls would run the, the occasion. They're delightful and you'd come along and all the dads and some would be in bib and brace overalls and others in the best suits, drawn around about six o'clock and you'd play these little games with your daughters teaching you and all these big guys were sat down and we played Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie and then we played uh, something else, um, I can't remember what it was and about the third game, uh, you know, a few of us were looking up at each other thinking, this can't go on. Especially when they brought out the, uh, the donkey with the pin thing, I thought. And I, and I noticed, and I cut the eye of a couple of guys, and we noticed over in the corner they had one of those McDonald's drinking barrels uh, surrounded by little plastic chairs. And we thought, here's the chance. And so Femme Formidable was watching us, and we, we, we ran over there to the corner, and we all picked up styrofoam cups and poured ourselves orange cordial and it's amazing how much man you can hide behind a styrofoam cup but yeah, there we were she couldn't touch us and we got talking and as we were sitting there it became apparent that a lot of these guys went sort of kept away from the local catholic church St pats they were christmas easter catholics and but they knew each other roughly and and they went around and said this is bill and uh, this is my friend jim and bob oh how are you going and they they ask questions about, and the, males always ask the question, what do you do? And I love that, because they were eventually going to get around to me, and they said, and what do you do? And I said, oh, my name's, name's Jeff, and I'm the pastor at Murrumbina Baptist Church. Here we come back again. And they said, oh, that's interesting. Well, we're all Catholics, so what's it like? And I thought, oh, Dorothy Dixer, here we go. Well, it's really great. I said, we've got a lot of you know, really lovely people and we have fantastic worship. We have uh, four different bands, different flavours. You know, we even have a jazz service. We have drama. We even have a drummer in a cage. You've got to come along and see that. Don't, don't, don't feed him. But anyway, it's, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and as I'm talking, and you know, I've gone to a lot of trouble to build that monster and I can see that their faces are sort of dropping and then this guy says this sentence and sometimes you know God is just getting through to you and he's speaking, this guy's speaking better than he knows and this, this guy says this sentence to me and it stayed with me forever and he said, I don't think I'd like to come to that I said, what? he said, I couldn't even think about God with all that stuff going on. And that just told me that if anyone is going to give up taking the kids to soccer on Sunday morning or praying golf, it's got to be because we can keep the contract that he's going to meet God here. Not that he's going to think that we have sex appeal or our music somehow better. The world is not interested in that. That's not why they will turn to Christ. It's because of the power of the Spirit of God who is breaking out with his gospel that touches their soul and they need relief from their sin and they come to a place where they can get that relief and they'll meet God. That's why they come. If we go the other route, which many of us have, we'll end up with consumer Christians, almost Christians, half Christians, half baked Christians, 
who just want the show to go on to appease them. It's a totally different contract. And that is the demise of the Western church. We've been doing that demise for 50 years. And it hasn't worked. About time we did the reality. We had the church without walls, the church without strata, and the church without substitutes is what Christ is about. Give them Christ or give them nothing. Far better. I finish with this parable from my second church. When I was in the uh, Upper Murray, best years of my life ministry-wise, hard years in a hard place with hard people. You have to be to survive that up there. uh, Things were going backwards with drought and with other things. Uh, And uh, I got to know a couple... Um, the wife started coming along she was a woman of real faith um, converted at uni in uni New South Wales and uh, they'd come into this area and the husband was the cattle breeder at Tintaldra station which is one of the real old stations and he's a great bloke but he wouldn't come to church he'd sort of left that behind even though his parents were really fine Presbyterian folk and uh, we, we made real good friends with the wife and she'd invite us out to lunch and so he'd graciously come in from work and we'd bring our little kids out, they were the same age as his kids and you know, we, we would uh, really hit it off and any opportunity, we'd, if they were carving, we'd take the kids out to see a calf or what have you. you know, we would try and make any evidence, ever, uh, effort to, to reach that, that guy. And it was to my delight about 18 months later at Easter Sunday to see this guy David uh, stand up and offer to sing. Uh, he sang a solo of a Keith Creek Green song, um, Hear the Bells Ringing. Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. Couldn't believe it. Beautiful voice, uh, transformed life. Anyway, one day he said to me, Jeff, um, I'm going to be going up the high country soon to check out our uh, Angus cattle. And I said, oh, well, how many you got up there? He said, oh, I've got about... 250, 300. Um, I said, oh, I'll be in that. Um, uh, Who else is going? He said, oh, just me and the dog. And, uh, oh, that's that's interesting. I'd like to see that. And you can round them up. And he said, yeah, 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 no trouble. So we got in the Toyota on a Sunday afternoon and headed off about mid-afternoon. And it was about a two-hour drive. And we got around a few bends up past Kosciuszko and then left the, left the trail and headed bush. And, uh, you know, it was winter, the streams were running pretty, pretty deep and we went through several and I was just hoping that the carburetor wouldn't get wet and uh, we wouldn't be stuck up here for hours and it's a long walk back. And uh, anyway, we, we made it through and finally got up to this high spot. It was like a, um, a big foot of footy field. It was a crater with an edge around it. And he got out and we hadn't seen one cow. And I thought, does he really know where these cows are? Now, I haven't seen any evidence. We saw a few Brumby and a few, you know, their markers. And, but that's all we saw. And we got up there and about the, the edge of this crater, we're parked just down on the flat. And he got out and he walked out to the middle of this crater. And I can remember the day, it was cold, not a breath of wind. And the sky was sort of this grey and yellow streaks, like an impressionist painting. And the the trees, the wattles were all bent over with the weight of the snow on them and the the snow gums were crackling. It wasn't a blade of grass anywhere. It was barren with snow. 
And he just got up there and he put his fingers in his mouth and I can't do it, but he whistled this high, shrill whistle. I thought, oh, this is a good one. (laughs) And he's just standing there with the dog. A couple of minutes later, this rough figure appears on the the ridge of this, this mountain, this bully, bushy, Angus bullock. And he's all hairy with his winter coat on, this little bulldozer thing just sitting there with his shiny black nozzle and his eyes like black billiard balls. And he's just looking out and sniffing. And when he snorted, all this, this steam would just go up into the air in the cold. And he's sitting there and I thought, well, that's one. <laughs> and then this little, little critter disappeared. About a minute later, there's 12 of them up on the edge. And they're looking down at us, and I'm over in the the Toyota still, keeping warm. He's out in the middle there. And then this little group of 12 decide to cascade down this slope towards him. And then there's another two dozen. And then there's 200. And they're pouring, and I can still remember the ground just shaking as the power of tons of beef that were pouring over that edge. Mm-mm, that was good. <laughs> and uh, I'm standing there and, the, uh, you know, and I think, oh, he's, he's going to be crushed. And I got out of the Toyota and he turned around and saw me and he says, get back in the truck. If they see you, they won't come near me. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> like a good little boy, I hopped back in the truck. <laughs> I didn't know a thing about what I was doing. But... And there they were. And under his arm, you know what he had? He had this thing about as big as a a loaf of bread. It was a block of salt, mostly potassium. And he'd unpeeled it out of its paper. And he's just breaking little bits off. And then he put it down right at his feet. And you see, these cattle have been eating rubbish for months. And they crave salt. They must have it. That's what they really want. And so they'd come down and they'd nuzzle up against him, these massive Angus, and he'd just walk through and he'd touch each one so they got used to his smell. And he's in the midst of them. And they didn't mind that and they were taking the salt in. I said when he got back in the truck, what's that all about? He said, oh, one day... When they're ready and I'm ready, I'll bring up the DW and I just put the salt up in the top level, put up the the ramps and they'll just go up there of their own accord in their own good time. Folks, I think that's that's a parable that Zechariah could have told. It's saying to us that if God wants us to be anything, He wants us to be salty. If we're going to be the light of the earth, then the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And that's what he needs from us. He wants, he has a vision for us of a church with no walls, no strata, and no substitutes. Do we actually trust the power of God? That's the question. If we do, That's what we focus on. Let's be the salt. Let's pray.
our Lord and our Father God. We thank you for the great privilege of being born of this country at this time. We thank you, Lord, for the challenges of being a Christian in this day. But Lord, we do thank you that it's your spirit that draws even the hardest heart to you and that you're at work out in this world. Lord, give us a heart to believe and eyes to see the work of your spirit in our world, in our lives, this very week. Help us to have eyes of compassion and eyes that care, eyes that follow through. Let us be, Lord, instruments of your grace in this era. May this be the heyday that others will speak about for Q Baptist. Equip us and send us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together and sing King of Kings.